1: So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio.
0: Welcome to our weekly Gentleman's Hour today on Trending. We are going to be joined in a moment by Devin Schatt. Devin Schatt is the founder of the Fathers of St. Joseph. We're going to be talking about male loneliness. There is an increase, especially over the last 25 years, in loneliness and friendlessness among men. What's going on? How can we fix it? And an interesting question that I've never even thought of before. But I do think it's fascinating in an age of a loneliness epidemic for many people, not just men. And that is, is loneliness a sin? We'll unpack this today on Trending with a Devon chat. We're also taking your questions, any questions you have, fatherhood, relationships, being a husband, any question you have about masculinity, prayer life, we are happy to take them. They've been flooding in on social media. Numbers one eight 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 nine one four. 888 9149. You can ask your question now. A little later on, I'm also going to take two really important questions. One, how to deal with relatives who are pro-abortion, and is abortion acceptable in the cases of ectopic or tubal pregnancy to save the life of the mother? Great questions. We'll unpack these a little later. Uh, Very delicate topics, especially with the rise in ectopic, what's also known as tubal pregnancies. In fact, at first, With Baby Girl, they thought that I had an ectopic pregnancy, and it's the worst nightmare for any person, especially someone uh, who's pro-life and just understands the whole situation. We'll unpack this in just a little bit here on Trending. Joining me now is the author, speaker, and founder of the Fathers of St. Joseph. That is Devin Schatt. Devin, loneliness is truly permeating in society today particularly among men a group of people we don't often think about needing to have friends as much as we would argue women or children might need but studies are showing an increase in friendlessness and loneliness among men today in fact the american perspective survey conducted just over the last couple of years by the survey Center of america noted that one in five American men admit not having a single close friend. How do we fix it? What's going on? Here joining me to discuss it now is Devin Schaap from the Fathers of St. Joseph.
1: Hey, Tim Murray Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so women definitely are more socially adept. So what's going on with men, right? <laughs> is it okay to be lonely? And um, I think that, you know, we look at what's happening in the church. It's definitely, especially with COVID, we've become fragmented, definitely isolated. And as men, we're kind of like—I I think we we tend to lean in that direction anyway. And I think that one of the reasons why this is a real problem with us as men is is because from an early age, I think as men, we want to be performers, we want to be providers, we want to win. We're competitive. And when we fail or when we're rejected, when we're not needed, uh, not wanted, then that leaves a wound. And when that wound is not addressed through childhood or through our teenage years, and we try to cover it up by finding different ways of being wanted, I'll perform better at work, I'll be really good at sports, I'll be good at fighting, whatever it is, um, I'll be a ladies' man, we try to fill or cover, really cover that gaping wound uh, of being rejected with other ways to try to fill that but they don't work and so there's this kind of secret kind of pain going on and so what we do and I think this is natural the natural instinct is to distance ourselves from situations and people um, where we're not experts in that situation or we're not familiar with that situation of those people but what happens though is in our experiences we become kind of like an echo chamber because we don't grow out of that and so it's easy for men, I think, to really end up becoming lonely. Now, is this a real problem? Well, I think it is. And, and we can go into it. But I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, all this and what I just said there.
0: I do think it's interesting, Devin, because I think especially married men today tend to, you know, mm-hmm. invest their time in focusing on work and family and their spouse, and that's a good thing, but so is having you know good male friendships, that brotherhood to push, challenge, um, compete with, grow together. And I know we've talked about it here on trending about how important it is to grow that, but what this is showing is that across the board. Men, single or married, don't have like, a true close friend. I think it reveals the superficiality of friendships today and the lack of integrity and honesty that especially men have with one another in society.
1: Yeah, I think we're definitely, absolutely. I think what, what's really going on is we're afraid of letting somebody under the hood. As John Eldridge said in Wild at Heart, he said we're afraid of being found out. And so if we can distance people, guys, especially if we can distance ourselves from other guys, especially if we feel a little bit inferior, or if we feel like we don't have the ability to socially interact or whatever it is to engage. And and I think this is why the church is actually declining attendance among men, especially in men's group is because we're afraid to engage. We're afraid that we might be judged. We might, we're afraid that we, someone's going to find out we really don't have what it takes quote unquote, but this is dangerous. It's very dangerous. Carol Vatiwa, um, Pope John Paul II, um, before he was Pope John Paul II, wrote a a play called Radiation of Fatherhood. And it's all about Adam. And he said that about Adam in this this play. I remember reading it for the first time. And by the end of it, and this is just kind of, I, I was reduced to tears. And the reason I was reduced to tears was because I saw myself in Adam. And what what was Adam's problem? He he said that he stepped out once on the frontier between fatherhood and loneliness. But what happens? He says that that loneliness opposes love, and on the borderline of loneliness, love must become suffering. And so, what at, in the play it plays out that Adam steps out on that frontier, but instead of entering that, moving from loneliness to fatherhood, he ends up. Regressing, and he remains isolated and alone, and he never really discovers who he is and so for me, when I was reading this, it really convicted me because I realized that the goal of life is in heaven is communion, God is a communion of persons, the saints are a communion of saints, and if i'm going to be there, i 'm going to be in communion with others and with god and Right now, on earth, at that time, when I was reading that, I was very isolated, and in fact, even from my family and i I think that what, what it triggered in me was, oh my gosh, I have got to learn how to live in communion. And then what I discovered is this is just an echo. JP2's words were just an echo of Jesus in the sacred text of scripture where he says in John 12, 24, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it remains alone and 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 they've trained you know modern translations say unless a grain of wheat falls to ground it remains a grain of wheat that doesn't even make sense really you know but it, the actual translation is it remains alone so what's the message there we're the grain of wheat unless we die to ourselves which is mm. in a sense suffering self-sacrifice for the sake of others we remain alone we grow up to be uh, you know men who don't love and therefore we become unlovable and that is hell on earth.
0: Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis referred to this as men without hearts or men without chests in some <laughs> Just, of his work. Yeah. And, you know, the idea is that this fact that, okay, well, maybe you've been wounded or maybe you're afraid of being wounded. You know, Okay, you can shut up your heart in a coffin and make it impenetrable, not let anyone in. You know, walk this path of total isolation. I think many people are walking that path of isolation out of woundedness, out of fear. But what's interesting is you brought up, and I had never heard that he'd said this before, that St. John Paul II actually has a phrase where he referred to the sin of loneliness. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I've never thought of loneliness as a sin and I know people will become very offended by this conversation because this borders on the mental health topic and in fact I threw this up on social media earlier and I had plenty of people saying well as a mental health expert loneliness is a serious issue and it is and sometimes Mm -hmm. in life we find ourselves in seasons of greater isolation but that doesn't mean we necessarily have to be lonely in fact there's a whole vocation within the catholic church known as hermits and they are in total isolation and they have argued in the history of the writing of our hermits They're some of the least lonely people on earth. And I think it comes back to what you referred to in John chapter 12, verse 24. If a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it remains alone. If we don't die to ourselves, we remain alone. And so unpack this and maybe give a little bit of context to St. John Paul II. We're talking about the sin of loneliness.
1: Yeah. So, well, first of all, I think it's good just to get an idea of what sin is, right? Sin is, well, the Greek, it's harmatia. Uh, which means to miss the mark. So when the Greek uh, would shoot their arrows, you know, in contest, if they missed the target, they missed the mark, it was harmatia. It, sin is the word. That's the word, sin. So um, when we miss the mark, and what is the mark? Well, the mark is to live in a deep abiding communal uh, communion with the Trinity and with one another, okay? So that's the goal, right? So a lot of people, yes, there are victims of loneliness. So you look at a lot of people in uh elderly homes, you know, they're dumped there and hardly anybody visits. They're a victim of loneliness. That's not the sin we're talking about here. Um, we're not talking about people who have mental health issues and they they cannot by their own, you know. Uh, capacity actually engage in a relationship. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is someone who's capable of entering into communion with another, but they refuse to do it. Why? Mm-hmm. Because they fear rejection. And this is where it becomes a sin because you are a gift. I am a gift. We are a gift. And that gift is meant to be shared. And when we're sharing ourselves, our personality, who we are with others, they get a taste of God. And they wouldn't get that taste of that unique aspect of god through us if we didn't share ourselves so that's why it's a sin because we're holding back we're not bearing fruit we're afraid and fear is at the root of this i'm afraid of being rejected i'm afraid of not being one afraid of saying something stupid i won't be included i can't tell you how many times i had guys come up to me after they attended one of our father's saint joseph meetings you know we had seven or 80 guys there and they would say i don't belong there and i say why well because i'm not good enough I'm not one of those guys. And I'm like, you mean you're not a sinner? Every human being is wounded. How do we know this? Because if you've committed a sin, you've wounded another and you've wounded yourself. And if someone has committed a sin against you, you've been wounded. So guess what, you belong in that room. (laughs) So we're all on the same page here. And the only way out of this, the only way out of, imagine four rungs on a ladder and at the bottom rung is loneliness. The only way to the next rung, the next rung is suffering. The goal is communion, fatherhood, or or to be in communion with the Father, right? So you got to go from the lowest rung, loneliness, and you got to hit that next rung, which is suffering, which it is real suffering to inject ourselves sometimes into a situation, into a social climate, whatever it is, when we're afraid. That's real suffering. Or I'm Mm -hmm. afraid that I'm not as smart as these people or as good as these people. But then when we can take that suffering and we can offer it to God as a sacrifice – then we move as as a man, I move into fatherhood, you know, I move into communion. I can bring myself into communion with others, and that 's where the fruit is at so we 've got to go through those rungs loneliness, suffering, suffering, sacrifice, sacrifice, in my case, fatherhood, your case, motherhood, communion with others, and friendship and that 's the key to the church and why I think that the church is really on its heels right now is because men avoid deep discussions. They avoid friendships and one on one male brotherhood quite a bit. And what this does is it hinders our ability to build an army for God and to be able to convert the nations because Jesus sent them out two by two, right? And he had his band of 12 and he has inner circle of three. And notice it's all a group thing. It's Mm -hmm. not, hey, you're the lone ranger. Go get them, tiger. No, no. So so so, where do we go from this? I, I think it's really important that if you're struggling with loneliness, you're afraid. Like, for example, how does it happen? I remember a guy telling me after I gave a talk at a retreat, he said that his dad, um, he and his dad was working on a plumbing project and his dad gave him the wrench and told him to turn, you know, the, the nut or whatever, and he couldn't do it. He was trying and his dad just said, give me that. Let me do it. And from that point on, he felt like he wasn't needed for the rest of his life, Right. And, and that happens to us at an early age. And then, so the, the only way out of this is to recognize, man, I've got this wound, whatever it is, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna overcome the wound by actually going back into the situations, not without abusing ourselves, the situations of being around other men so that they can father me. And that's the key, get around other men so they can father you into manliness, into being brave, into being courageous, into taking your faith seriously.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's uncomfortable. You know, it's uncomfortable. I (laughs) find this even in the situation I'm in. You know, here, a transplant from Southern California, you know, native born, huge family in Mm -hmm. Southern California, never thought we'd be living in the Midwest. Still praying and hoping to go back to California. You can pray on that with me, um, my beloved California. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we've been here about almost a year and a half now, and it's hard. Making new friendships Mm. is difficult. And I finally hit a point where if I'm not the one, if I keep here, you're staying here waiting, it's never going to happen. If I'm not the one to intentionally go out and really make myself be uncomfortable, go and spend time in the most awkward of situations to me. And I'm extremely. Really introverted, believe it or not. And, mm. uh, you know, if I'm not willing to, you know, spend time with people at hours of the day that I don't like to spend time with people, you know, there's a, a mom's group that I got involved with, with this incredible group of women, I'm so impressed. And, you know, it's eight, nine o'clock at night when it starts. And it's so tired. <laughs> That's not me. You know, I don't want to go. I want to make those excuses. <laughs> But, you know, it's interesting, Devin, because the truth of the matter is, is that we're battling a culture of self-indulgence and Mm -hmm. even self-indulgence when it comes and gets in the way of things that we so deeply desire, such as friendship in the face of loneliness. And so I was so glad when you brought up that St. John Paul II has referred to the sin of loneliness. Yes, there are some people who by no choice of their own have found themselves isolated or suffering from mental health, but many, I think, of the cases of loneliness today are out of choice. And I'd like to give one example, Devin, and I know it's kind of extreme, but I think we can all see ourselves in it in a certain respect, Devin, and that is I would argue many people who are choosing to live a drug and alcoholic lifestyle today, and this isn't everyone, but you know, sometimes it's hard when you see people who are homeless, you know, we're called to have compassion and be generous. But I remember talking with my mom about this, about how sometimes it's so frustrating because, and we've had, you know, these people in our own family, our own extended family, because sometimes they're the exact people who chose to reject their families and their friends and to indulge in that drug addict lifestyle. And the problem is that culture of self-indulgence. And perhaps we're not as extreme as rejecting all our friends and family to live a drug addict lifestyle, but in some ways, what is our drug that's getting in the way of us having those relationships?
1: That is awesome. Yes, we all have them. We all have those drugs, as you're talking about, those things that keep us in our own isolated world where we feel safe, we feel secure, and we don't have to risk anything. And you don't risk anything, you don't gain anything, you don't risk, you don't bear much fruit, and you will not actually experience peace. So so the deal is, is really, so how do we, I guess, how do we administer help to ourselves? I think the first thing is that, like you were saying, um, in that process, it's easy to judge the drug guy, you know, the street guy, the, the guy who's an alcoholic and say, well, you made that choice. However, if I have received... The reason I judge people is because I am not receiving God the Father's love for me. To the level that I do not receive God the Father's love for me and believe that I'm secure in that, then I judge other people because I'm, I'm not secure. Therefore, I judge them to make myself feel better about myself. But once I'm totally secure in God the Father's love, I don't judge rashly. I don't judge other people rashly, right? So the key here is we've got to get with the Father and we've got to say, okay, Yes, I struggle with injecting myself into friendships and, you know, I don't want to go to this, you know, mom's club at eight o'clock or whatever, you know, at (laughs) night, but, 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 but here's the deal. If I suffer just a little bit, if I sacrifice just a little bit, I know Lord, you're going to come through and the reward is going to be so incredible. And I've seen this in my life when I was, Mm -hmm. when I was a lot younger, I wasn't a writer, but I started a writer's group because I wanted to hold my brother accountable because he's an incredible writer. And there's a bunch of us that got together and these guys were so brilliant. They were writers and we took turns, you know, sharing. And then I'm sharing. I I couldn't even tell the difference between a semicolon and a colon. I didn't know the difference where to put a comma, et cetera. And I'm sharing these little pithy reflections on fatherhood and St. Joseph. But out of that friendship, out of that group, suddenly over, well, not suddenly, gradually over years, I wrote my first book, Joseph's Way, which was a letter to myself. But because those guys encouraged me, those guys were patient with me, I I allowed myself to risk rejection. And I trusted them. And they were trustworthy. And we grew as brothers. And then out of that, all of us ended up developing much fruit, bearing much fruit. That's what can happen if we're brave enough to just say, okay, I'm going to get with you guys. I'm going to try to trust you. You know, and, and here's the deal. We men, we've lost the I guess, the uh, art of sparring debate mm-hmm. at a healthy level, you know, where, where it's okay that I'm wrong. You know, it's okay that you're wrong. But, but what, when we get together, true manliness is forged in discussions between friends with differing ideas and beliefs. And so when we do that in a trusting environment, we three things happen. We learn something from the others that we didn't know. We grow towards the truth, that's the second one. And the third is we develop a stronger bond of friendship and we grow in humility, that's the fourth. And so I would just encourage every guy out there, if you can't do this, this is where the church is fantastic. It's got men's small groups. Yeah, there's a bunch of goofy guys there, but join it and you'll experience freedom.
0: That's Devin Schaap from the Fathers of St. Joseph. You can check them out at fathersofstjoseph.org. We'll post a link now on social media. But again, remembering that ladder of growth that you mentioned, Devin, loneliness, transition to suffering, transition suffering to sacrifice, and you'll find yourself in communion with friendships. We'll be back here on Trending. So
1: what's Trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: It's our weekly gentleman's hour and we're taking your questions. Devin Shat from the Fathers of St. Joseph is joining me now. Fatherhood, dating, relationships, being a husband. Growing in your faith, we're happy to take them. Questions you'd otherwise want to ask your mom, your sister, your dad, but maybe you just haven't gotten around to a faith-filled perspective here on Trending, numbers one 914 9149 You can also ask your question now on Instagram, social media. We are there. We put question boxes up. Happy to hear from you. By the way, did you hear that singer Billie Eilish said she would rather die and not have children. I was riveted by this comment. We're going to talk about it tomorrow during our weekly marriage hour talking everything dating, relationships, marriage, getting yourself in that direction. But let's take some questions. Devin, you're here with us on trending and I was interested by some of the questions that came in. And let's see. Okay, so Ron is asking on Instagram how to stay disciplined in the face of comfort.
1: That's a great question. Okay. Well, Um, how to stay disciplined in the face of comfort. Well, I think the first thing is, is that we have to understand our purpose. We have to understand the goal. You know, when you look at like Olympic athletes or people who are striving to be wealthy, you know, entrepreneurs, they have a goal in mind. And when that goal is ever present, that's what they think about. The first thing they get up, their whole day is arranged around achieving that goal. And when we lose sight of the goal, when we lose sight of the purpose, then our actions that are supposed to lead to that purpose become kind of random, they don't have meaning. And we do this all the time, human beings do this all the time. And so when our purpose is to be a saint, when our purpose is to bring other people to Christ, when our purpose is to share the joy of the gospel with others, what happens is, we start developing habits throughout the day. So prayer, sacrifice, how we treat others, and and so the goal or the purpose shapes everything that's the lens so if you know your purpose then you're going to be begin to develop habits to an actions to hit that purpose to hit that target and so if you're if you're shooting a gun you're aiming for a target if you're shooting an arrow you're aiming for a target and human beings have a target and that's heaven that's god and so ron it seems like you're already on the right track because you're asking the right question so when comforts come, when you want to take the warm shower instead of the cold shower, let's say, what I, what I do is I give myself rewards. So let's say I'm like, I know I need to hit that midday prayer time, but that's a hard prayer time for me. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold off my lunch until after that, or I'm going to hold off dessert after I do evening prayer, whatever it is. Or I'm going to take that warm shower on Wednesday if I get through it on Tuesday, whatever it is, the cold shower on Tuesday, I give myself a little bit of a reward because God isn't all about fasting. He's about feasting too, but the mm-hmm. fast prepares us for the feast. And that's mm-hmm. why the E is in feasting and not in fast because it's for eternity. Right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we so the whole idea is we're fasting so that we can feast. And if you have a healthy balance there, you're not going to get burnt out. because there's a lot of people who are very, they're rigorous and, and they can end up falling into the trap of just punishing themselves. That's not what God wants. God wants us to do everything out of love for him. And so I think that's the goal, you know, keep that goal in mind and then your habits will follow.
0: Devin, Chris sent me a message saying husbands and fathers are often looked at as another one of the kids or siblings in a family. (laughs) How do you develop leadership as a husband and father when the culture demands us to be the family to say donkey or horse for
1: today (laughs) (laughs) i got it yeah well joseph is an expert in leading asses so i think we're in good shape we just go to saint (laughs) joseph so uh i think yeah so that's really hard our culture has like for decades now um actually though there's a big turn in hollywood and there's a big turn in the movie industry where we're starting to get back to where the dad becomes the hero the father's the hero he saves the day um I think it was like the next three days or something like that. I think that was the title of the movie. I couldn't believe it was with Russell Crowe. And it was this riveting film about how the dad ends up winning the day. Um, We see it in Apocalypto and things like that, where the dad comes through. Um, I think that though society though, does want to make us that other kid or that sibling. Sometimes we get it from our wives and and that's real. I I don't want to discount that, but what do we do about that? I think that, First of all, communication leads to communion, okay? So it all begins in our marriage. Communication leads to communion. And so, Chris, you you know, a good conversation or multi-conversations, ongoing conversations with your wife about your role and being being aware of, the first thing is being aware of your role. Your role is to be the priest of your family. Your role is to offer yourself in sacrifice for your family. Your role is to carve a path through this thicket Uh, this valley of tears to get your family to heaven, okay? And your role is to bring that joy of Jesus Christ into your home, the bridegroom. So this is your great role. This is an incredible role to be like a father on earth, like the father in heaven, like St. Joseph. So that's your role. And then you communicate that to your wife. Look, wow, I discovered this incredible role. This is my vocation. This is my call. Vocation comes from the Latin word vox, the voice of God. This is the voice of God in my life. Tell me this is how I'm supposed to live. Can you help me live it? And then she gets on board with that vision. And then the two of you are one in that great call. And then through your sacrifice, because as the man, you initiate self giving love to your wife, then she's going to see that you're altruistic in that self giving. She's going to want to respond most of the time. And then there's this little dance of love. And from that dance of love, love spills out to the children. And so then you're not just another kid, you're not just another sibling, you're not just the donkey that's carrying the load. You're the spiritual leader. The key here, though, is you've got to have a prayer life. You've got to go to God in the silence because if you do, then you have something to give to your wife and to your kids. That's where all the power of love comes from is when we're united to the Lord in prayer and he begins to work on our wounds and he begins to make us real men. So I think begin with prayer. Communicate the vision of your great calling as a husband and father to your wife and if this is your goal, you want to be a saint in this in this calling. And hey, can you come along and help me with this? And then that's when things start clicking. And there's going to be a lot of confessions. There's going to be a lot of I'm sorry's. There's going to be a lot of work along the way. But once you both have that vision for your calling, Chris, you and your wife, great things will happen.
0: Devin, this builds on a conversation I had here in Trending with Matt Walsh from The Daily Wire. We're talking about. Uh, respect within the context of marriage and how you know you shouldn't a husband shouldn't have to earn his wife's respect just like a wife shouldn't have to earn her husband's love it's the same concept respect is so important within marriage but i do think it's interesting what you're saying because what you can earn is trust and what you're saying i think from the female perspective of when a wife is hearing from her husband okay I understand this is my, you know, role to lead the family, you know, communicating that you understand what that is, but even communicating as you're figuring out what leading the family looks like, like that's okay and a good thing. And that is where, like you said, with that communication between the spouses together, figuring that out together uh, is okay. You don't have to do it by yourself. You know, good counselors, good, good role models, taking it to prayer. All of that is so important. You said something I think so important. That is go to St. Joseph for his intercession. He is such a powerful intercessor. But you build that trust and your confidence and confidence in your wife when you communicate that understanding of the leadership role and trying to figure it out not cockily just trying to say well i'm the leader of the family and you need to obey me which i see and i see it go wrong it fails it's it's Mm that's a being a dictator Mm -hmm. (laughs) not authoritative Mm -hmm. or trustworthy uh in Mm -hmm. any way and it makes me even think of business school when you started talking about you know okay sit down talk to your spouse in business school the basic understanding is plan your work do your work. You know, talk about where you're going to do your work. And, you know, talk about it. Plan. This is what my plan is. Okay, actually achieve it. Because sometimes the problem is being all talk and no follow through. Yeah. And not acknowledging, you know, where the pieces sometimes fall apart along the way. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's Devin Schatt taking your questions, controversial questions, but that are so important in the context of marriage, family life, dating, uh, growing in your faith. It's so important. Let's talk about careers for a second. Joining me now is Devin Schatt from the Fathers of St. Joseph. Fa- find them at fathersofstjoseph.org. We'll post the link on social media and in the podcast notes for today's show. Find those at relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcasts. We are there. But we have another question that came in from Richard. He's asking for proper steps in formulating a lifelong career.
1: Hmm. Forming a lifelong career, proper steps. Well, okay. So this is so let me just give an example. So my daughter, Gabby, when she was uh, we homeschooled, but she was really struggling in school. And she was actually, you know, kind of doing poorly. And she was really upset by it. And, but yet she had this great quality talent to be an artist. And she's now a nationally, internationally known artist. You can find her on the internet. But when she was explaining this to me, and she was so, I think she was getting locked up in the pressure of it all. I said, Look, your, your education is at the service of your talents, and your talents is at the service of your vocation. So, so look out toward your future and just, in a sense, work toward discerning your vocational call, but then understand that your talents, you're gonna have talents to fulfill that vocational call because the vocational call is the highest, whether I'm a husband or a father, mother, wife, or whether I'm a priest or a sister or religious. Okay, you now there are single people too who are single for the kingdom. Those are all vocations, right? And so that's the highest calling a job all that is not the highest calling that's at the service the vocation and so what we want to do is we want to use our talents and our abilities to serve that vocation and so so richard i think if you're looking for a lifelong career first look into yourself and ask yourself what are my desires because those desires there are good desires and bad desires but even at the basis if you unravel bad desires You find the altruistic desire if you lift these desires up to God in prayer. And that desire is God's voice in a sense. It's the way he's programmed you. He's created you. He's created you in a sense with these desires because those desires, true desires, will lead to your vocational call and whatever you're going to do with your career. So the key here is, is discernment is very difficult. But I would look first to say, well, am I called to be single? Am I called to be a husband? Am I called to be a father? Am I called, you know, to be a priest? I would try to discern through that and work through that as I'm looking toward my career. Now, this is the other key. You have to start small. I think a lot of people these days, and I see it all the time with young guys, they think they're going to get out of college or get out of high school even and they're gonna be very wealthy. Someone's gonna find them and they're gonna have this incredible career. You have to be the guy who is gonna work hard and do everything with excellence, but know that God is gonna do it through you. So like at the wedding at Cana, Jesus told them to fill the jars, each holding 20, 30 gallons with water. Even after they filled those jars with water, what was it? It was still water, but they presented it to Christ and he blessed it and it became wine. And that's a symbol of our life, our work. Whatever we do, whether we're flipping hamburgers, we're stocking shelves at first, we're starting out small, we're getting educated in these areas that we want to, be, we want to have careers in. We start out small, we work hard, we do it with excellence, but we lift it and we give it to Christ in sacrifice and say, please bless it. And that's the biggest key to developing a lifelong career is invite Jesus Christ in at the very beginning or even along the way and let him transform all of your work into wine and he will orchestrate who you meet, what path you take. It'll start to fall into your lap. And that's what he says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all things will be granted to you. He says, basically he says, thrown in your lap. Imagine back in Jesus' day, they had barley sacks. And so he says, it's thrown in your lap, that barley sack, filled up, good measure, overflowing. That's what God will do when we seek first the kingdom of God. And we do that by dedicating our day to God and dedicating all our actions in our work, no matter how small, and then he will bless it, and he will bless our career path.
0: That's Devin Shat from the Fathers of St. Joseph. Find them at fathersofstjoseph.org. You can also check out his books as well there on leadership, fatherhood, so many topics. He has a full library of books and resources. Fathersofstjoseph.org. We posted a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes. I'll be back today diving into two important questions. How to deal with relatives who are pro-abortion And is abortion acceptable in the cases of ectopic or tubal pregnancy to save the life of the mother?
1: We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Welcome back. I'm going to talk about two very important questions on the abortion front as this conversation continues to rage. Various judges, various states are battling over the future of abortion This is not going to work itself out overnight. You may have heard news coming out of places such as Texas and others about judges blocking pro-life laws from going into effect or remaining effective as they are. This is essentially judges going rogue, ignoring the fact that the Supreme Court, the highest court in our nation, has said there's no constitutional right to abortion. And so they can do what they want. They're temporary blocks. This will work itself out, but it's not going to happen overnight. And so stay patient, stay confident, stay prayerful, and remain active whatever state you may be living in. But good news is North Dakota's abortion ban will go into effect coming July 28th, saving many babies from abortion. We're seeing other states quickly passing and implementing laws in the various states, including places such as Tennessee and other so this is all really good news and I just want to remind us one baby's life would be worth it all with some abortion clinics already shutting their doors we've seen already countless lives being saved. Women being turned away from access to abortion. Yes, abortion clinics are helping to schedule abortions out of state, but not everyone's going to travel out of state for that particular abortion. The reality is, is that even if a woman is scheduled out of state for an abortion, the longer the delay in her actually having access to that abortion, Means the longer she has time to bond with her child and question her decision, the longer a woman remains pregnant, the more likelihood, more likely she is to keep her baby. I want to answer two really important questions, and if you have a question, please send them to me. You can ask them now. The number is eight eight-914-9149. or you can also. Send them to me on social media. Take it. I'll take a lot of your questions and put them online, and you can ask live now on Instagram. Just follow me at Timmerie T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Francisco on Instagram asked how to deal with relatives who are pro-abortion. I'm going to make this conversation a little more generic and then narrow it down to relatives as well. Okay, the reality is, is we all have family, friends co-workers, people who are radically pro-abortion. Now, this could be a loud voice. This could be a mean and aggressive and manipulative voice. This could be a quiet voice. There are many different perspectives or ways in which people share their views. But I think first and foremost, we tend to think when we know someone who opposes our view on abortion, that we quickly have to hit them over the head with the facts to change their mind. I wish that was effective, wouldn't that be wonderful with any topic? The reality is is that we need to focus on the opportunities as they arise. Maybe that means trying to create an opportunity to talk to someone about abortion. Maybe that means praying for an opportunity to talk to that person about abortion. I always say turn to the Holy Spirit in prayer. If you really do feel called to talk to someone about their abortion stance and you're not finding a way in, pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you. Pray for your guardian angel and that person's guardian angel to help provide the opportunity to have that conversation. Last week, I was training 100 pro-life youth leaders in pro-life work, and this was one of the most common questions. Okay, I have this friend. How do I talk to them about abortion? They're very pro-abortion. This is a great desire to have to talk to someone, but how do we start? So start first recognize we have to wait for an opportunity to arise. Now, maybe the opportunity that comes up is, hey, I was just listening on the radio and I know you well enough to say I'm floored by the thing that I just learned or, you know, I, Kind of simple things that naturally come up given our context of knowing these individuals. But a lot of the time with people who are rather pro-abortion, especially family members, I think we need to pray for opportunities and be attentive. But second, one of the ways that can help us to enter into some of these conversations really includes stories that can create what I like to say an in, an opportunity to bring something up, even with someone who you know you radically disagree with on the topic. So a great I think example and is what we try to do here on Trending. For example, maybe you know someone who is completely on a different end of the spectrum of you on the topic of hormonal contraception. Um, We can talk about the health side effects and the interpersonal side effects of that, but what would be a means of getting to start that conversation? Well, did you hear just a couple months ago, Haley Haley Bieber, Justin Bieber's wife, a supermodel, had a stroke. And they're pointing to the main cause of her stroke being recently having started birth control. That's a great end to talk about. Did you know that there's side effects to birth control, such as stroke? Again, that's nothing controversial or aggressive to say. That's just talking about a pop star that a lot of people like to follow and are interested in, and his wife. Another thing I think we have to remember when we tend to want to kind of beat people over the head with our pro-life position Out of love, because we love our relatives and we desperately wish that they didn't have this pro abortion stance. Well, one of the things I think that is very important is that we remember being pro life means being a witness for life. And often actions can speak louder than words, especially when we haven't had the opportunity to directly address the topic recently with a loved one who is pro abortion. Well, actions speak louder than words. This is why when we are pro-life, our lifestyle needs to reflect being pro-life. Maybe that can be that you are very active in the pro-life movement. You, maybe you are involved in volunteering at a crisis pregnancy center, sidewalk counseling, praying in front of the abortion clinic. You're doing pro-life things, and you're not flaunting those things, but you're showing people that you are doing them as a role model. So it's a lifestyle. It's also, and I especially talk to young people about this, but it doesn't matter if you're married, not married, lifestyle also includes how we approach a topic of chastity and how open a life we are. If you want to promote a culture of being pro-life and you want friends and family to see that, it means you need to be chaste with the way you're entering into relationships with people the opposite sex. Are you encouraging a lifestyle that is baby-friendly, that is saving sex for marriage, honoring that babies have a right to a mother and a father and that that should come within the context of marriage. I think this is one of the most important things that young people, single people can do to uphold their pro-life position, that you honor the potency, the potential for motherhood and fatherhood so much and you respect the fact that a child could come about. This is one of the great benefits of abortion being outlawed or restricted in various states, Radical feminists are saying they are going on sex strikes, trying to punish men, but in reality what they're doing is they're honoring the potential for motherhood that has just become more real to them than it has in over 50 years. Also remember that the openness we have to life is very important, especially as people of faith understanding that contraception is one horrible for our bodies. Two, can often function as an abortifacient, which means that it can either prevent sperm and egg from ever meeting, but also can cause new human life to be killed and destroyed at a very early stage. And the vast majority of hormonal contraceptives function this way. But third, the way we are open to life reflects that gift, that joy of new life. Yes, babies can come in less than ideal time. Frames. Yes, babies can be surprises. Yes, there can be at risk pregnancies. But we can still celebrate that that life, no matter the circumstances, is an absolute gift. And seen this firsthand in the Crisis Pregnancy Center, in the midst of the darkest of situations, that we can still celebrate this is a baby, this is a gift. This is what helps people to choose life that is celebrating the gift of life itself. And I want to give you a handful of examples of family members who we've had who have held to a rather pro-abortion position at times or continue to. to. Uh, One includes I remember in high school I was doing pro-life activism work and I would be dropped off at one of my grandparents houses and they're pro-abortion and you know them knowing that the pro-life work that I was doing even though they disagreed on the issue of abortion often the fact that as a teenager or whatever age I was that I was choosing to do something that I cared about that was trying to help save babies and moms you, can't, you have to argue that makes an influence on people. At the end of the day, most people can acknowledge good that you're doing in pro-life work even if they think that abortion should be legal. And that good you're doing to advocate for life, to be pro-life, does have an influence on others. I can not even think of another grandparent of mine who holds to a pro-abortion stance as well, who has been proud of the work I do to this day and respects the good that I do, even while holding a different position on abortion. These have great influences. This has a great influence on various people. I remember uh, some years ago, a cousin of mine posted on social media uh, when it used to be I don't know do people still post a lot like their locations it was when everyone posted their location like I'm at the grocery store I am at this restaurant I am driving in my car on this position on the freeway anyways when we were obsessed with posting our locations I remember one of my cousins posted that he was at an abortion clinic with his girlfriend now I can't remember the full context but it was meant to be a joke and I said something I remember talking to my mom about it and I was just beside myself upset we had reached out to my cousin in that context and praise God that he and no one his he was dating was actually at an abortion clinic but it actually provided an opportunity to talk about being pro life and why making jokes about abortion just isn't okay or acceptable in fact I remember one time when I was being introduced to my boyfriend's family at the time and the family thought it would be really funny to make a pro-abortion joke Uh, one of the relatives, because they knew I was very pro-life before I showed up. And it was the most awkward situation, the first time you ever meet someone. And I remember saying, right, because abortion is something to joke about. I didn't say anything else. and I just walked away. And it was one of those moments of, yeah, that actually is a serious topic. And maybe we shouldn't just make light of it or try to mock the topic or the position of others. So I think that there are lots of opportunities where we can uphold our pro-life position around people who are pro-abortion by our example or the very simple things that sometimes we have the opportunity to say. I was actually touched the other day when the decision came down from the court on Roe versus Wade being overturned that there's no constitutional right to abortion. Uh, There was... Some family was very concerned about my safety because my location was initially on blast. A lot of people knew where I was. And we do receive a lot of threats from people um, about some of the work I do, especially on abortion and the LGBTQ topics. And so family who otherwise didn't hold a pro-life position... Or some family who over the years have slowly developed a pro-life position because of my family's stance on life when they never would have really been exposed to a pro-life position started reaching out saying that they were praying for safety Um, for myself who again my location was on blast at first when the decision came out and so they were concerned about you know where I was and who would know and it spoke volumes to me the fact that all of these years people who I didn't know what their stance was on abortion but who've seen over the years the work I've been involved with, that I've spoken up about abortion, that they were able to respect the work that they acknowledge in the pro-life movement is good, even when they hold to a pro-abortion stance. And so sometimes we might find that people are speechless advocates. Sometimes people will never never tell us that they've changed their position on abortion. But by the way we live a pro-life witness, makes a world of difference to others even when we don't always hear from them.